Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, I want to ask the question this morning, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Uh, here we are, we're in... Uh, this escalation of evil in these final chapters of the book of 1 Kings. We're looking across chapter 20, uh, 21 and 22 this morning. And as we saw last week, David is dead, the kingdom is divided, various kings have come and gone, and now Ahab is on the throne, or rather Jezebel is ruling in Israel. But as we saw last week, it's actually the word of God that dominates these chapters. The rain in Spain stays mainly on the plain, but the rain in Israel comes and goes at the word of Elijah. Ravens, brooks, jars of flour, jugs of oil, widows' sons, bulls on altars, all come and go at the word of the Lord. So that, chapter 18, verse 37, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. You see, Jezebel may be looming... Elijah may be alone in chapter 19, but 1918, God has reserved for himself 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What in the world is going on? Well, as we come into chapter 20 today, 1 Kings chapter 20, it's like a scene from the Lord of the Rings, or perhaps the Chronicles of Narnia. The people of Israel encamped before them like two flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. Can you picture it? It's a battle scene. And the odds for Israel are not good. 33 kings have aligned against one. But we're getting to know God uh, and how he works. Uh, We're getting to know the God of Israel now, and we know that actually these are just the kind of odds that he likes to work with. And we're getting to know, aren't we, uh, that this is a wicked king. Uh, There he is, threatening to pillage and to plunder in verses 4 and 5, and always drunk, it seems, this king. and we, So we know he's an evil king, and we know that God is relentless in his pursuit to make himself known. As we saw last week, he's always saying, so that you'll know that I am the Lord. He's doing all these things so that he would reveal himself. And we know that there's some bad theology kicking around in these chapters, because they think that, well, if we, if we lose in the valleys, maybe it's because we're, he's a god of the plains and not of the hills. And like he seems to be, maybe if we lose in one place, let's try again because he might be a god of the hills or the valleys. We're not really sure. And so you put all that together, um, the odds that God likes to work with, a wicked king, a god who wants to make himself known and some bad theology that needs correcting. And what we find in chapter 20 is not once, but twice, God gives an astounding victory 
to an undeserving Israel. But both times, King Ben-Hadad, the wicked king who's always getting drunk, escapes. Uh, Verse 20 and verse 30 of chapter 20. Just jump down to verse 30. The rest fled into the city of Aphak, and the wall fell on those men. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered the inner chamber in the city. He's escaped again. Well, his servant's rumor in verse 31, uh, his servant said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. And so it turns out. A little bit too merciful, it would seem. Because how quickly enemies turn to allies here. As, can you believe it? Ahab is calling Ben-Hadad, in verse 32, brother. Inviting him up into his chariot. I thought the whole purpose of this victory was that Ahab and Israel would know who is the Lord. Have a look at verse 13 and verse 28. I think they're key verses in this chapter. Behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, you have seen all this great multitude. Do you remember the scene? 33 kings against one. A flock of goats versus filling the country. Can you see this great multitude? Behold, I have given them into your hands this day, and you will know that I am the Lord. Or down to verse 28. And a man came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you will know that I am the Lord. I thought the reason that God is giving Israel victory here is so that Ahab and Israel would look to him, to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, for their security and their hope and their prosperity and their blessing. But what's happening here is God has given a gracious victory to Ahab, an undeserving Ahab, not once but twice. And now he's forming an alliance, not with Yahweh, not a covenant with God, but have a look what he does in verse 34. Ahab made a covenant with Ben-Hadad and let him go. We'll look at verse 42 to 43 at the end of the chapter. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand a man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his and your people for his. And the king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. What in the world is going on? I thought as we left chapter 19 that we're going to see a new era that um, Elijah is going to anoint Elisha and two other kings who will bring justice. But as we've come into chapter 20, we've found not justice but international war and the wicked guy goes free. Well, as we come into chapter 21 then, we turn from international war to a domestic dispute. Ahab wants a vegetable garden, preferably next door to the palace. 
Now, I'm not really into gardening myself. My wife is. She's a good gardener. And I like plants and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not really into it. But I think Ahab is. Because have a look at his reaction there in verse 4, 21 verse 4. Because he didn't get the vegetable garden next door, Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat. Ahab's offer seemed fair enough in verse 2. He said, look, Naboth, I will give you a better vineyard. I'll give you its value in money. But Naboth is not that kind of man, is he? He knows this land has been given to Israel as an inheritance and it's to stay with those people to whom it was given. Well, enter Jezebel, verse 5, who happens to know a little bit about property conveyancing herself. I quite love uh, her question to her husband Ahab in verse 7, do you now govern Israel? Well, clearly he doesn't. She does, and she will, and she'll use his stamp, his name, and his seal in verse 8. And so Queen Jezebel uh, of Jezreel's mafia hires her hitman, and she makes them an offer they can't refuse. Of course, in the words of Michael Corleone from The Godfather, it's all completely legitimate, sanctioned by the church, this fast they're putting on, and the convictions are a religious offence. And so before we know it, Naboth is dead. 21, verse 14, verse 15, and 16, he is definitely dead. Five times in three verses we read that he's dead. And so the vineyard goes to Ahab, verse 15. What in the world is going on? Cold, clinical, callous, calculated... The perfect crime. Until we get to verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. He keeps appearing, doesn't he, at these critical moments. And he says, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. And behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth. What's he doing there? Where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, you have killed and taken possession And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick your own blood. Our writer comments on the author of 1 Kings comments on Ahab in verse 25. He says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. Well, we might think this is the closing scene, it's all over. But surprise, there's a twist, there's a a twist at the end of this plot. Have a look at verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his day 
but in, the da- in his son's days I'll bring the disaster upon his house. It's delayed, but it is coming. But it is delayed. Can you believe it? What in the world is going on? International war, domestic dispute, and then we come to chapter 22, our reading, and we find ourselves again in international war. It's an Ahab sandwich, international war, domestic dispute, international war. Ahab here joins forces with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. They are the warlords here. Isn't it amazing? Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom, have come together to take Ramoth-Gilead. And everyone is saying, go, verse 6. Ahab is saying, go, let's go, let's go, let's get it, it's ours. Why don't we take it? Jehoshaphat is saying, look, I'm as you are, my people are as your people, my horses are as your people. And 400 prophets are also saying, go, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And then Zedekiah is saying in verse 11, thus saith the Lord, go. And then he does charades, which paint the picture even more vividly of how they will win the battle. But Jehoshaphat has some reservation, doesn't he? He says, well, shouldn't we seek the word of the Lord first? I mean, we've heard these 400 prophets of yours, Ahab, in verse 6, but Verse 7, is there not another prophet of the Lord, you know the type, of whom we should inquire? I love Ahab's answer in verse 8. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. Well, if those words are very memorable, so are the words of the prophet in response, verse 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Have you heard those words before? And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one return to his home in peace. Well, that's what happens. They have no shepherd because... Ahab dies in verse 34. A not-so-random arrow finds a gap between his armour and the dogs do lick up his blood in verse 37 according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Not once, not twice, but three times through an unnamed prophet in chapter 20 in the international war, through Elijah in chapter 21 in the domestic dispute, and then through Micaiah in chapter 22, it all happened according to the word of the Lord, Ahab died. So why did God give us three chapters, these three chapters in the life of Ahab? Well, I don't think it's so that we should tut our finger or boo at Ahab and Jezebel. Let me suggest three reasons God has given us these strange, but kind of fun to read chapters. Number one, God has given us these chapters to show us himself. Mid all the chaos, 400 prophets prophesying in unison, go, Zedekiah doing his little charades, Ahab and Jehoshaphat 
Amid all the chaos, God was in control in the heavens, sending a deceiving spirit into all the prophets so that his prophecy, the death of Ahab, would take place. God is showing us that he is sovereign even over the most wicked of kings. In these chapters, God is showing us that he is powerful and does not need numbers to win his victory. Two flocks of goats, people like the sand on the seashore, filling the countryside. God is showing us that he is Lord, both of the mountains, isn't it good when we're up on the mountains, and also in the valleys. He's not a God who is God in some situations, in some places, for some people, but we wouldn't really expect him to act over here, you know? No, he is sovereign everywhere. And he's showing us that he is gracious, even to the most wicked of kings, over and over and over again. Did you notice what's happening in these chapters? Ahab, who's already showed us his colours, keeps having these prophets come and speak the word of the Lord to him and predict the future and predict victory for this king so that he would know the Lord, so that he would know the Lord. Why was it that he wasn't killed with the prophets of Baal last week? Why was it that he wins? Surely in these other opportunities, God could have smashed him and smashed him again. He could have been gone from the pages of our Bibles long ago. But God is not willing that any should perish. Can you believe it? God is not willing that Ahab should perish. He is gracious, slow to become angry, and abounding in steadfast love. God is showing us also that he is just. His judgments may be delayed, but my, oh my, they will come. So God is showing us himself in these pages. And secondly, I want to suggest that God has given us these chapters to show us ourselves. As a kind of mirror, because that's what the word of God is, isn't it? Even as we look at Ahab and Jezebel. They may be dead, but in many ways their spirit lives on, doesn't it? God is showing us something about ourselves that international war is not the problem. Domestic dispute and injustice are not the problem. And we might say, in the context of a day like today, poverty is not the problem, oppression is not the problem, lack of education, malnutrition, disease, slavery, these are not the problem, actually they're symptoms of the problem. 
Remember that phrase that we came across here that we've actually heard before? Like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus lifts the words from these chapters when he looked out on the crowds of his day and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see that 1 Kings is showing us over and over and over again that the crisis in our world is kingship? That we cannot rule ourselves. Here is the human problem. And doesn't it make you think wistfully and longingly and looking back to the days when the son of David reigned in Israel? Can you remember those days? Shalom, peace, rest from their enemies, well-being, prosperity, everything turned to gold in David and Solomon's kingdom when they obeyed the word of God. And doesn't it make you think wistfully too of that time when Jesus stepped into our world? Do you remember that time? When he fed people, healed people, took the evil out of people, taught us how to love and forgive. Boy, we didn't even have a word for forgiveness. He showed us what it's like under his rule. And he took in himself Ahab and Jezebel's sin for all future people who have the same struggle. People harassed and helpless because they do not know King Jesus. That's the problem. God's showing us something about ourselves and he's giving us a chance to repent. Jesus said that when the kingdom of God comes near you, it should make you want to repent. And here, as we've come close to the kingdom of God, even in its old archaic form in the Old Testament, and how much more under Jesus, but as we've come close to the kingdom of God, well, let's read these final verses to finish up. Chapter 22, verse 39 is the summary. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Here is what the author has left out. Six chapters of negative press, but here's what he has knowingly omitted. Are you enamoured by his royal palace inlaid with ivory? Well, you can watch series nine, episode three of Grand Designs to find out more about that, or you can consult the feature article in Better Homes and Gardens. Don't worry about his houses. I mean, what about the cities that he built? Well, you can download the Israelite Chronicle for free as a PDF now. Go and look there. Can you see what our author is doing? By merely mentioning the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, our author is tacitly, subtly admitting, isn't he, that Ahab was great, really great, perhaps in the eyes of the world, but he's bluntly telling us that all of those things, his palace inlaid with ivory and all the cities that he built and fortified and the military might that he showed, well, 
That might be impressive in the world's eyes, but they're utterly trivial, totally irrelevant, not important. What matters is what we were told back in chapter 16, verse 30, that Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like all the kings in the book of Kings, Ahab's life is lived under the all-watching, all-knowing eyes of the Lord. But like no other king in the book of Kings, Ahab sold himself to do evil. And so Ahab gets a whopping six chapters of negative press, hating God's word, wanting God's word, fearing God's word, ultimately rejecting God's word time and time and time again. Sometimes we need the negative example to know how to live. So as we close the book on one Kings, before we get to two Kings, let me ask you this question. How will you live your life? To do evil or to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Are you inlaying your palace with ivory? Are you building cities? How will you be remembered in the eyes of the Lord? We need Jesus to be our king, don't we? To forgive us for our Jezebel Ahab lives, resisting the word of God. To give us his spirit so that we can live a life pleasing to God. To give us his righteousness so that he can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We need Jesus to be our king. So let's pray to him now. Our Father God, we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And today we pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, send out labourers into your harvest. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.